Good to see everyone. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm getting in the Christmas spirit. I, I, uh, gift giving is something, uh, the, the magic of gift giving is something for me that kind of went away and is coming back again as my kids get older. Um, I just, you know, when, it, when you're a kid, um, I think there's this magical moment, partly because you don't really know what you're going to get because uh, when, you, when people ask you what, what you're going to get when you're a kid, you ask for everything. So if it's on TV, it doesn't matter if it's for a boy or for a girl, you want it. It's like, okay, one of those. And so your Christmas list is like six or 7,000 when you're a little kid. But as you get older, as you become a teenager and certainly into uh, being an adult, your list gets smaller and more expensive. And so the, the, the secret, the, the magic of what's going to happen uh, kind of goes away until finally you're like, you know what, well, I'll just get it myself. And so... Um, now, the other thing that's happening, so, uh, but, but I, I knew about the magic of Christmas and, um, and, and giving gifts and, and all of what that entails for, from a kid. So when we started having kids, me and my wife, Rachel, uh, we were all excited. So, you know, we we're really enthusiastic about, you know, hey, we're going to make this magical moment. So we get her, you know, get the gifts. And uh, we, you know, when Ella, I remember her first Christmas, we get all these presents, we put them right by her and she sucks on the corner of one then falls asleep. And so it was kind of like, uh, and, and that's, so you kind of got, well, what, what's even the point? You know, you, you have one kid and, and then you, we had two and, a, and three and it was all, so it kind of went away. But now that they're getting older, it's starting to have that kind of uh, uh, magical moment. It's just great. I think it, it's exciting to get gifts, but I, I, I'm, it's exciting to give gifts. It's just that kind of anticipation. And, and I think there's something about that as a parent. I think I, I'm, I can only speak as a father because that's all I've ever been, uh, but I, I think as a father, and even knowing my, my, my dad, um, even, even growing up, I mean, he's, he kind of presents himself as this kind of gruff guy, but inside, you know, really soft. And, and I, we, I don't know what your rules were for Christmas, but we get to open one present on Christmas Eve, uh, and then we open the rest on Christmas. I remember one uh, Christmas Eve, you know, he said, okay, open your one present, and we all went in, there were six kids, we all went in there, and we just tore it up, and we were all super excited, and he's like, all right, open all of them, and and Vicky's like, Larry, and it's Christmas. And so, um, and that was his compassionate voice. And so we, uh, but there, there's something about that. And I've been thinking about reflecting on that. It's, it, it, I've been thinking a lot about what, it, what Jesus said in Luke 11. Um, uh, he was talking to his disciples and, and trying to talk to them about the goodness of God, just how good he is and, and how he loves to get good gifts. And one of the things he said, he says, you know, uh, you earthly fathers, you know how to give good gifts for things that ultimately uh, end up being secondary. How much more uh, does your father in heaven, um, how much more will he give you good gifts for things that are ultimate? And... Um, you know, Paul, the, the apostle, he wrote to this church in Colossae uh, in the letter uh, called Colossians. And he says, there's things in life that are shadows, and and, but the, the shadows point to a substance. So if you were to go downtown and, and uh, down by the arch grounds, you know, sometime in the afternoon with the sun shining, you're going to see a shadow uh, that the arch projects. But what millions of people every year don't come and see, they don't come to see the shadow. They, they come to see the substance. And our gift giving, that's what I want to say, our gift giving uh, this time of year is great and, and, and just encourage it. I mean, and enjoy it. Don't get, don't get grumpy about it. Uh, don't, don't worry, over worry, I should say, about materialism, although it could be a problem. I think it's fine to be generous and give gifts, but he, here's what I want you to keep in mind. This is how you can stay in check, is just to understand that your gift giving is a shadow 
And there's a, there's a greater substance, and that is not the gift that you give to your kids, but it's the gift that our Father in heaven has given to all of us. And so when you give gifts and you think about the joy that, that arises in your heart, how much more the joy of the Father in giving to us the ultimate gift in Jesus. And I wanna talk about today is why this is such a good gift. Because just to be frank, I don't mean to offend anyone. I don't mean to offend anyone. But oftentimes when we, we take this gift that God gives us and we're more like uh, my one-year-old who chewed on the box and then fell asleep and didn't really understand what was given to him. And so I was kind of say, okay, why is this even a good gift for us uh, to get at? So what I'm gonna do is we're gonna look at Isaiah 9. This was the, verse, the verses that uh, were read uh, in Advent earlier. The Advent reading, uh, Isaiah 9. If you don't have a, a Bible, there's a black one. Uh, page 573. Hey, can we turn off these air conditioners? You think? I know it's hot outside, but... You know, we're, here's what's going to happen. We're going to have a, a bit of a shorter service uh, today. And just in case... And, and, and I was kind of wondering this morning, like, you know, is that really the right... You know, should we just do a normal length, and, and so I went to, but I had this experience at Starbucks that kind of helped me say, no, it needs to be shorter, and um, I, I went by in, into the drive-thru, and um, uh, there, was no, there was no one in, in the drive-thru, it was just totally dead, so I say to the guy, I say, hey, you know, like, hey, this is kind of weird, you know, no one's here, is, is that, you know, that, that seems unusual, he's like, no, not on Sunday, I go, what, what do you mean by that, he's like, no, every, he said, there's church on Sunday, so everybody always comes after church with, to get their coffee, because they're like, wow, I'm glad that's over, and so, and I was like, well, that's encouraging, <laughs> but the best part is when he said, hey, what are you going to do today, and I said, well, I don't know, and uh, come to church with me. Isaiah 9. This is why this is such a good gift. Man, you all should go there. Everyone here should go to Starbucks afterwards and be like, man, I wish that would have went forever. Really? Okay, Isaiah 9, verse 2. Uh, the people who walked, walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who have dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them uh, a light has shined. And that word, it's a compound word, that word uh, that Isaiah wrote here, in deep darkness, really means the death shadow. That those in a death shadow have seen a great light. And what the prophet Isaiah is doing here um, is uh, he, he's, he's taking the idea of darkness and connecting it to death and he's taking the idea of light and connecting it to life. And in general, these things go together. Uh, light and life go together. Uh, when God created the earth, uh, he, he said, let there be uh, light before there was life. And about a year ago, I was really interested uh, in this connection. And so I, I did what we all do when we, when we want to know the answer to a question is that we asked Mr. Google. And so I, I said, Mr. Google, what would happen if the sun disappeared? And so when I, when I typed that in, uh, one of the first things that, come, that came up was a, 19, a 2008 article from Popular Science uh, titled, What Would Happen If the Sun Disappeared? So uh, what are the chances? And so 
I read, and I just want to read to you what, what would happen. Would you like to know what would happen if the sun disappeared? This is what would happen. First of all, and obviously, the temperature would drop. Uh, by the end of the week, it would be zero. The global temperature would be zero. Uh, by the end of the year, uh, the global temperature would be minus 100 Celsius. And eventually would stabilize somewhere around minus 400. So most of us would freeze to death. Now, not all of us would freeze to death. Some of us who had access to a submarine, if we went down to the, the depths of the ocean, and the warmest part of the ocean could survive for a while. But here's another problem. Photosynthesis would immediately stop. You guys remember what that is? Ninth grade science? And our eighth grade, or I had to look it up too. And so we, uh, <laughs> which means that all the plants, I gotta read this, which means that all the plants that are giving off oxygen, you know, they would all die and all the animals would die. And so uh, all the things that give off oxygen that, that let us have oxygen, uh, that would go away and so we'd run out of oxygen. Now I'm told, uh, what this article, Popular Science, uh, said is that there's enough oxygen, I guess, in the atmosphere to kind of keep us busy for a while. But eventually that would go away. And then, of course, there's the issue of food. Uh, all the plants would die and all the animals would die. Uh, if that wasn't bad enough, there's another problem because we get a lot of vitamin A and D uh, from the sun. And it would be very, very difficult, they say, to replace that vitamin A and D. Which means if you didn't starve to death, if you didn't suffocate or freeze, your bones would crumble. And... Um, and then, of course, and then piled up on top of that, the sun has a lot to do with the gravitational pull of our earth. So as soon as the sun goes away, our earth just kind of flies into space and who knows where we would be. That's what would happen if the sun disappeared. You encouraged? Here's the point. We need the sun. We need light. We need light. Um, life would be impossible Without it. So what does it mean when it says those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, the death shadow, the light has shown, or it really means the light has flashed. This isn't a spiritual reference. Uh, this isn't like, hey, you know, people are walking in spiritual darkness and, and they need uh, spiritual light. Well, and then that may be true, but what he, this is actually prophesying what's happening to our earth. That we're, we all have an expiration date on our, on our lives. The earth has an expiration date. Uh, scientists will tell you, you know, the sun is going away. And one day this will be true. And just to kind of take you down a thought experiment. If you were to leave today and you were to go home and you were to make, you know, whatever Sunday dinner and you did a roast or a, a chicken or a turkey or something like that. And, and when you cooked it, instead of eating it, you sat it on the kitchen table. And you didn't eat it. You just left it there for five hours. Um, it would start to smell. If you waited five days... Um, maggots, bugs, gross stuff like that. Waited five months, then the health department's there, the neighbors are complaining. You, you're, you're, you, because it's, it's decaying. And you know what? That's what's happening to you and I. At a slower rate, mind you. But, but we are literally falling apart. We, 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 are, we are going away. Unless, unless light breaks in to our death, unless light breaks into our despair. And this is what is, uh, the Isaiah is talking about. You see, when God first created light, he said, let there be light. But I don't know if anyone's ever thought about this. He said, let there be light on day one, but on day four, it wasn't until day four that he made the sun, the moon, and the stars. So when he created things, there was light before there was sun. There was light before there was stars. How could that be? Well, because, it, well, I'll tell you how it can be. Um, 
the book of Revelation talks about the end times, the, the prophesies about the way things are. This guy John had this vision of the future. And in this, in this book, uh, in this letter, he says that there's, God's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. All death is gone. All disease is gone. All injustice is gone. All aging and decay is gone. All of it's gone. And then it says there won't need to be a sun anymore. And this is what it literally says. Revelation 21, 23. And the city... This new Jerusalem, this new city, and the city has no need of a sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and its lamp is the lamb. The ultimate light, the ultimate one, reduces, not just reduces, eliminates uh, death. It makes death into light and we need that light. Now, how do we get that light? Well, it says here in verse six and seven, and this is the super, super famous part. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And on the increase of his government and peace, there will be no And so in other words, the reason why we have this hope is because a child is born. The reason why we have hope in the deep darkness uh, because a child is born, a son is given, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Everlasting Father, Mighty God, Prince of Peace. And those are all four, all those four names are either directly or indirectly referring uh, to God. In other words, that the hope, the, the, the light that's going to flash on the scene that is in this child, in this child is God. In other words, God took on humanity, what's called uh, the incarnation, that God took on humanity and he became one of us. He was born in humble means as a baby in a manger. And and these names are important. It says mighty God, that he actually has the power and the might to do something about the darkness. And so he's this God, he's this divinity, but he's not just this divinity, he's also this wonderful counselor. He's someone who understands, he's human. This word wonderful means beauty. The word literally means beauty. And so when we, we just don't uh, look to Jesus because you know, we have to, but we look to Jesus because man, he's beautiful. He's wonderful. He's everything that we've looked for in, in our jobs, in our relationships, in all the things that we, we seek after. He's, he's the one that we're looking for. He's the beautiful one. It's why, you know, it's just like you, not everything tastes the way you think it should taste. It's why you feel like you're always hitting that, that level. You think, well, if I could just get to this level of income and then life will be, every, uh, be life the way that I've always dreamed it would be and then you get to that level of income and it's like, well, it's not quite there. If I just have these relationships or this relationship, then that'll be it and then you get there and then you just, it's just, you, you can't quite get there. It's Jesus, he's the beautiful one, but, and he's, he, he understands and he uh, is the wonderful counselor and he came down and he suffered with us and for us. He knows what you're going through. He understands the darkness that lurks around every corner. You know, one of the big kind of objections I hear is like, Brian, you know, I just, you know, I, how could God, how could a good God allow the suffering that we see, the injustice, you know, in our city, of course, as you know, this word, the injustice has been on our minds with what's happened the last uh, four or five months in, in St. Louis. And it's, you know, it's always been our mind. Either it's global injustice or national injustice, city injustice, or just even our own personal injustice, how people treat us. Well, how could a good God allow this to happen? Well, you know what? I don't know that I have a complete answer to that. I don't know if anyone will ever have a complete answer to that. 
They'd be lying if they said they did. But here's what I do know. God did not sit idly by as the world was spinning out of control. But he entered our world. He entered our time-space world. And he didn't just enter our world, but he became a victim of injustice himself. He understands. He understands everything from the trivial annoyance of relationships. He understands that all the way to the, to the max. He understands what it is to experience extreme emotional, physical suffering as he did on the cross. As all of his friends rejected him, as even the father, it says, turned his face away. And he was left there to die in agony. And the book of Hebrews says that he did all of this for joy that was set before him. Now, I haven't even told you the best part. The best part of all this is that it's a gift uh, because it doesn't just say that for unto us a child is born. It says for unto us a son is given, that this is a gift. In fact, verse five says a great battle will be fought. In fact, when we think about injustice, when we think about pain, it's like we gotta do something about the pain in this world. We gotta do something about the suffering in the world. We gotta do something about how I'm being treated. I gotta stand up for myself. We gotta fight a battle. And, and we feel that way. But here it says, this is a battle we won't fight. It says evil will be under, overturned, but you will not have to fight it. So it says you won't need a warrior's boot. It says you won't need armor or sword. Burn it up, melt it down. You're not gonna need it. Because there's going to be one who's going to fight for you. For unto us a son is given. And if you read on in Isaiah, this is Isaiah 9, if you get to Isaiah 53, it tells us how the son's going to get the victory. It says this in verse, uh, chapter 53, verse six. It says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned, every one of us, every one of us, everyone in this room, myself included, every one of us have, has turned to our own way. And, and the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And this is, but the death that we deserve, it says the Lord laid upon him the death that we deserve, the laid upon him, the iniquity of us all. Our, our, our propensity to sin, the iniquity, the, uh, the moral uh, impurity uh, he laid, the, the, our, our transgressions are, are, you know, going outside the boundaries of what we know to be true. He, he laid upon him, our sin, our, our failure to even meet our own standards. He bore that transgression. Now what's interesting about the victory of Jesus is, that, is how it happened because often when we think about victory, we think about something stronger beating something that's weaker. And certainly you would, God is all powerful and, and there's nothing more powerful than God. But how he demonstrated that, how he executed that, I'll put it that way, is that he didn't come to the earth in strength. It wasn't a strong God looking for a strong people. But he came in weakness. He was a strong God who became weak. So those of us who are weak can become strong. Because here's the thing. If Jesus comes to beat injustice, if God comes to do away with all the evil in the world, he's got to deal with the evil inside you and I. If you don't know that there's evil in your heart, um, you will. Seven, learn long enough. Ask the person to the next to you. Maybe. <laughs> Later. I want everybody to stay happy for a second. The, um, we all have that evil. Because that's where, that's where all evil, all evil, it's all, in, it's all 
in, in varying degrees, but all the, the, the self-centeredness and, and the me first attitude is, is in us all. Now, some it leads to certain kinds of actions that we can grade that we think are better than worse, but it's in all of us. In fact, one of the things I'll, I'll normally hear, kind of in a, you know, if you're a skeptic here and you're thinking like, well, you know, you know sounds good, but really, just how, religion is responsible for so much injustice. And I would say, well, yeah, there, I mean, I could see where you, where you would say that, but I mean, you look at any kind of human system. So, I mean, there are governments. I mean, I don't, I don't know that there was a whole lot of human flourishing under communist Russia. There wasn't a, there's not a whole lot of human flourishing under certain economic systems. You know what? There's not a whole lot of human flourishing under certain religious systems either. But I want to tell you what's different about Christianity. See, see, a religious systems and, and uh, economic systems and governmental systems, they all have at its center you and I. And it's bound to go unjust because of the injustice in us. E- even the religious systems, man trying to reach God. But Christianity isn't that because uh, uh, it, Christianity is not that some, you know, for unto us we attain something, but for unto us something was given to us. Something outside of us, something better, something transcendent outside of us came to us. A light flashed on the scene in the middle of our darkness. So if Jesus was to come in strength, he would destroy us in the process. But because he came in weakness, we are saved in the process. Jesus came in weakness. He came as a lamb. He came as a baby in a manger and he was crucified. This light that flashes into our life is an act of grace. And the only way that you can receive grace, the only way that you can receive a gift is if you humble yourself. Receiving a gift always requires humility on some level. It always requires swallowing uh, your pride at some level, some more than others. Let's just say like, you know, if your birthday uh, was tomorrow and a friend gave you a dieting book. Um, it's like, thank you, I, I know that I'm fat, but um, for, you to, for you to think a dieting book is a good gift, you, you have to admit some things about yourself, am I right? Or maybe, this, you, know, maybe you got a book, uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People. So okay, I know I'm fat and obnoxious, but you, know, you, don't have, you have to somehow admit. I had a friend, true story, a couple years ago gave me a book titled How to Get People to Like You. <laughs> and I... And I look, at my, I look at the book, I look at my wife, I look at the book, I said, Rachel, I said, can you believe this? What, do you, what, do, what should I do? She's like, well, I think you should read the book. And so, <laughs> there, there are some gifts that you receive that require a little bit of pride swallowing, a little bit of humility saying, no, I need this gift. And there is no greater gift than salvation. There's no more important gift. There's no more wonderful gift. And because there's no more wonderful gift, there's no gift on the planet that requires more pride swallowing, more humility than receiving the gift of salvation. Because you have to admit, not just that you're fat or obnoxious, but that you've got it all wrong. That yes, you are one of the sheep that has gone astray. That you are one, that, Je- that, that your life was, is such a mess that Jesus had to come to earth and he had to go to the cross and die in such a brutal way. There has to be a moment where you reconcile those things. 
That in, for, in order for God to achieve this salvation for me, in order for God to shine his light into my dark world, Jesus had to die that death. And for you to receive that gift is going to require some humility. This is what it says of Jesus in um, the Apostles Paul, letter, his letter to the Philippians. In, in, in chapter two of that letter, he says that Jesus did not count his equality with God something to be grasped. The fact that he was God, he didn't hold on to that, but he, he, he didn't cease to be God, but he let, he, he let go of that to come to earth. He descended, so he's way up here. He's higher than anyone. He descended farther than anyone, an innocent man dying on a cross for the sins of the world. In, the, in, in that passage, he's, he writes, because he humbled himself more than anyone, he gets the name greater than anyone. That, the, that Jesus' greatness was defined in how far he descended. And let me just tell you, I'm gonna leave you with this thought. Your greatness will be defined in how far you descend. Will you descend to the place of nothingness to receive this gift of salvation, to have everything that your heart really wants? But it won't be found in a relationship, it won't be found in a, a job, it won't be found in level of income, it won't be found in perfecting hobbies, it won't be found in pouring your life into your kids or your grandkids. Those are all shadows that point to the substance of this amazing gift that 2,000 years ago in a quiet night in Bethlehem, a great light shone. And if you're willing to say, I need this light in my life, it just, it's, it's humbling yourself to receive this. Are, are, you, are you ready to receive this? Are you ready to say to Jesus, yes, I, I have made a mess of my life. And, and I'm not even sure, it, it, you may not even have all your, answers, all your questions answered, but you can see that the answer isn't within yourself. And you can see how much God loved you that you and I who know how to give good gifts to one another that are here today, gone tomorrow, how much more is the one who put this whole thing in motion? How much more is he able to give you good gifts and he's given you the best gift in Jesus? Why don't you get out that communication card that Dylan talked about a second ago?